0: the nba and college basketball are back and the nfl and college football playoffs are right around the corner with all these sports going on there are plenty of bets to lock in so if you're thinking about picking the lakers to repeat their nba championship hopefully not if you're a listener to this podcast or someone to upset pat mahomes and the chiefs you need to go to betonline.ag or if you want to place a bet for the clips to redeem themselves go ahead and do that as well from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online and there's the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbooks experts. and hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the believe in clippers podcast jesse cass and alex acker here with you as always and we're very excited to have two very special guests they are hosts of the land of lakers podcast here on the believe podcast network you might also know them from espn radio and the athletic they're very accomplished and set here in the la landscape and of course with the lakers the the kamenetsky brothers andy and brian thank you guys so much for for coming on the show here today
1: uh, my, only, my only issue with that introduction is the use of set and accomplished. But otherwise, <laughs> thank you very much. It felt, felt perfectly on the nose.
2: I would have preferred esteemed. Um, that, I mean, that's a good one. Revered. I, I think those are other good mean, also, words. I'm also a
1: little upset, Jesse, that you didn't introduce either one of us as doctor. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's the thing now. And I mean, the fact that neither one of us has a doctorate, as we, as we've learned, it
0: doesn't really matter. So...
1: <laughs> we can
0: throw it on there uh, whenever you guys like. Uh, Dr. Kamenensky, you al- also, uh, you guys, I have to mention as well, have just like we know the Morris brothers have the joint bank account, you guys have maybe the best joint Twitter account in the world, which is very rare. So I think that's something. Yeah, I was that...
2: about to say that you're, it's like at, at worst, we have like the third best. <laughs> there aren't that many. Um,
0: yeah. But as we get started here today, we know that. You know, when I was on your guys' show, we were kind of breaking down the preseason where the, the Clippers, frankly, looked pretty bad, and we were looking forward to this opening of the regular season. Uh, Clippers with a 116-109 win in the opener. Uh, just the first question off, what was your impressions of the game? And it was ring night for the Lakers, just the whole night, uh, from your side of things, from, from seeing the game and, and obviously the results uh, in game
3: one.
1: Um, I guess to begin, the, the ring ceremony was incredible. I, I thought the Lakers did such a great job of personalizing it and leaning into the the realities of the pandemic and actually using it in certain ways to, I think, really make it even more memorable. The the bringing out of frontline workers to virtually present the rings to certain assistant coaches, and then Frank Vogel, Rob Palinka, and all the players getting their rings virtually presented to them by family members, it, it was incredibly touching. I mean, you, you could see how much this affected all the different players involved. It was absolutely hilarious how uh, how just bored LeBron's kids looked during it. I mean, like at this one, it's like, we get it, Dad. You're amazing. Uh, go play yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it,
3: it,
1: it was great. I, I I thought, and this is something the Lakers really do very well. They're great at events. You know, whether you're talking about something like last night or, you know, tragic circumstances like uh, Kobe's passing, they're, they're just terrific at this stuff.
2: Yeah. I hey, think Brian, too, yeah, I, was, I, I think too, you know, sort of like what Andy was saying to you, you go into that, you know, the ceremony was fantastic. And the, you know, I, I was sitting there going the whole time, like, why haven't family members been giving out, you know, rings forever? Like, this is way better than Adam Silver or getting a handshake from David Stern or any of these other things. And so th- that was part of it. Um, it's another long line in like the you know the NBA during the the draft. I was like, draft should always be held at home, like, so I can see these people with their families and how much it means for players to get drafted and how life changing it can be for so many families. But the other thing is too, in terms of the practical impact on the game, I do think it had a little bit to do with how the Lakers came out in the first quarter and the Clippers outscored, scored, them, I think, by twenty. Um, it was you know it was an incredibly lopsided uh, first twelve minutes. The Lakers couldn't hit a shot. Um, they turned the ball over a lot. I, I think those two things are probably somewhat related. Um, and so you know the next time they, they play, you'll get a, a maybe a cleaner feel for it. But um, I mean. I, I don't know. What you guys think I mean, like it? It was a game that reminded me a lot about like the games last year, which were generally very competitive. Um, you know, with with runs on both sides, <laughs> I took the Lakers a couple opportunities before they were able to beat the Clippers last year. Um, I mean, not a whole lot about last night surprised me, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and, and Andy, we were talking a little bit before we started the show, but uh, I guess from the Clipper side of things, it was encouraging for them to, to see them kind of put it together. Obviously, you don't put a ton of stock into preseason basketball, but for whatever reason, uh, it was a little slightly concerning that they didn't look good at all in any of their preseason games. And we saw at least you know the start of the first quarter, obviously carrying it through to the end of the fourth quarter, uh, kind of what we would expect from a team this talented to, for them to look more like themselves uh, in the actual first regular season game.
1: Yeah, I remember we talked about this when you were on our podcast uh, like a week or so ago, Jesse, just yeah. the lack of urgency that seemed to be there for the Clippers, especially considering everything that they went through last season which was fairly disjointed and there's been a lot of reporting about the issues that went on all season and then, you know, the way they really came up short and disappointed in the bubble. I I wasn't as I wasn't really as curious or paying as close attention about the way the Clippers played as how they played. And it turns out in both cases it was actually really strong. But I, I had been more curious just about like, okay, what type of tone are the Clippers potentially setting for this season? Just given the way they they were fairly lethargic, I thought, during the preseason. And and if you're a Clipper fan, this was a really, really good sign. Also, it's very clear, Paul George. He looks at his mentions. I, I think he was tired of the Twitter jokes.
0: Yeah, and there were there were plenty of them from pretty much the moment that Denver series ended in that Game Seven to up to last night, and I'm sure that you know that'll continue until it changes in the playoffs, of course. But uh, it had to feel good, I'm sure, for him. 13 of 18, 33 points in the win for the Clippers. Uh, Alex, what was your impressions of the ball game? Uh, we know, you know, as we talked about last week, for the sure. beginning of the season, first couple games doesn't necessarily mean anything. We're always going to overreact to it, but uh, your impressions of just the game and if it means anything for for either team.
3: No, I I actually felt that, you know, uh, out of everybody, Paul George did have a chip on his shoulder. Um, I knew a fact that he would, you know what I mean, because the Mm -hmm. jokes were on him, you know, the eggs on him from that standpoint, but it it showed from that, um, that Paul George was ready to play from that jump, uh, from the tip off. I think the biggest thing to have at all, though, was that, um, you know, the Lakers are in, in Hawaii. They were really relaxed. They got their rings. They were comfortable. And um, the Clippers are trying to get to where they're at, you know, so they don't have no time to waste. And they want to show that, you know, that they were here. And this is the perfect example to make their statement right then and there. So they took advantage of it for sure. And I think the last podcast we had, you know, we we had that if the Clippers are going to win. And I was kind of. Um, 100% in on them winning this game because they they definitely needed to show that they wanted to win and get over that hump that they've been setting for you know X amount of years with the Clipper history. Yeah, and there's
0: obviously so much, I don't know, weight, I guess, if that's the right word, for how the season ended last year. Of course, you have a coaching change. You have some big roster moves. It's just a lot for them to kind of release from a really terrible ending to last season to now. So it was, yeah. it was nice to see them respond like that. Uh, Andy and Brian from the Lakers side of things. I know we talked about last week that uh, on the Lakers side, they dominated the regular season last year. And of course they lost the opener last year and then went on to really go on a run. Lost to to the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What do you expect from them this year? Knowing they have some new pieces, some older guys, uh, obviously LeBron and AD coming off the, the shortest off season in history. What are your expectations for how they approach the regular season?
2: You know, it's, it's funny. Andy and I were, were having this kind of a, a mini debate about this on the last couple uh, episodes of our podcast, like trying to figure out exactly how much of an adjustment uh, and how much kind of uh, time it's going to take for the Lakers to, to work with the new group that they have. Um, I, I am of the opinion that it's it, like where last year we thought it was going to take 20 games before we sort of knew what they were. And then you look up. They lose the opener to the Clippers and they win something like, you know, 23 of their next 25 games, something like that. Um, and this year, though, I actually think we're going to get what we thought we were going to get last year because they're going to have to be very careful with LeBron's minutes because, uh, you know, same with AD, you know, Schroeder is a very different kind of point guard, whether he's, you know, starts for now, whether he ends up coming off the bench, he's going to play a lot with LeBron and, and Davis and figuring out that dynamic is going to take a little time. I think defensively, we saw it last night. Like, Mark Gasol is, is just a different center in the 12 minutes that he played. Picked up five fouls. But in the, in the in the he's a different deal than Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. They don't have that shot-blocking rim protection that they used to have. So all of these little things, you kind of put it together. And like you say, Jesse, very little offseason. And you have to be very conscious of everybody's health. I don't think they're going to lose a lot of games. I think 20, 25 games in, they'll still be... Well, 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 over 500, but I don't know how cohesive they're going to look in that process. I think it's going to take a little time. That's just me, though.
0: I mean, I, I think, it, yeah. What about you?
1: I think certain adjustments. I mean, obviously, every season is about adjustments, and no two seasons are going to be exactly the same, and you're going to change certain schemes. So, in that respect, I agree with Brian. But I also think a lot of this, or at least some of it, is how how complicated do you need to make it be? Like, for example, the the difference between Dennis Schroeder versus Avery Bradley or Rajon Rondo as the two guards that often either started alongside LeBron or were running that second unit, you know, things like that. I think Dennis Schroeder's uh, implement, implementation is in a lot of ways as complicated as you're willing to make it because I think he naturally makes much more sense coming off the bench. And I would, you know, he's obviously going to play with LeBron and A.D., but I think his greatest utility is more with that second unit, more specifically with Montrez Harrell. And figuring out what to do with a guy like him, who can be high usage in his own right, Once the ball. If he plays a lot of minutes with LeBron and AD, obviously is more to figure out. I just don't know how much you need to try to figure that out as opposed to dealing with what I think is a much more pressing issue for the Lakers. The defensive issues, though, that Brian brings up. I, I think that is going to take you know some type of strategic changes. The Lakers last year did a lot of funneling towards the basket because they knew they always had at minimum one seven footer between ad, Javale and Dwight, if not two on the court at the same time. Seven-footers who could jump, too, by the way. I mean, they still technically have one, but he's pretty earthbound. Right. I mean, and this year, you know, Marc Gasol Gasol is one of the smartest defenders in the league, but he's not athletic and can't cover the same type of ground as JaVale or Dwight, so there's going to be certain adjustments that have to be made defensively for them in in that right. You know, the flip side is there are things you can do offensively with Marc Gasol that you can't possibly do with Dwight or JaVale either, and those are the good adjustments that you have to make. So I I think some of this is ultimately how much adjustment they want to put on themselves. And then there are other things. It's like, like I said, with Schroeder, the biggest reason I think you would start Schroeder is Schroeder wants to start. I just don't think that's a good enough reason.
0: Yeah, right on your point with the with Schroeder and Harrell. First half, you know, Harrell comes in, Schroeder comes out. We know that was not necessarily the part of the reason the Lakers really struggled early on, but second half seemed like they made that adjustment. Those two played more together and got it things going great. in the pick and roll, which of course we saw all this time with the Clippers with, with Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell. So that seems like it would be kind of a natural progression for a similar offensive player and Schroeder working with Harrell in the second unit.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the two of them had some really nice uh, plays together. They, they, also, too, there, there's so much about this season specifically that I, I bringing in guys like Trez and uh, and Dennis Schroeder, I think, was about juicing the offense so they don't have to rely on LeBron and to a lesser degree AD as much because of the, the short offseason and the toll that was on both of their bodies. And you know LeBron's mileage is just insane. And I, I think there was a premium put on making the regular season easier for those guys which I think was really smart by Rob Palenka. And I think it's important they maximize it.
0: Yeah. And that, that kind of leads into the next question I had for you guys, where we talked about it or danced around it a little bit, but, you know, obviously the la- the Lakers off season was, was lauded around the league highly, you know, very encouraging around the league from people saying that they won the off season. They added all this talent. You, you of course mentioned they do have some players that went out the door. Dwight Howard, Javelle McGee, Rajon Rondo, Danny Green, Avery Bradley, they replaced that with Schroeder, Harrell, West Matthews, Marcus Um In short terms, do you think that they're better with these moves, um, or is it just different? What What are your your impressions of if this team is going to be better than last year's team?
2: I I think better. I mean, it's 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 hard. They gave up some defense to get more offense. Uh, there's no question. I think they'll figure out the way. Frank Vogel's a really smart defensive coach. Uh, very smart, you know, schematically and all that stuff. I think he'll figure out the ways to best uh, capitalize on what Schroeder does well, the things that Harold does well, and try to protect their weaknesses. I and mean, we saw it last night, you know, AD played a lot with with the the Schroeder and Harold combination. I don't think that was an accident. Yeah. Um, but you know, I they gave up some defense, they're not gonna be as stingy throughout the regular season as they were last year. Um, just because of the, uh, I think of the personnel, and I think we saw it a little bit. You know, the Clippers did a good job taking advantage of, of Gasol's lack of mobility in the starting lineup with Ibaka. You know, making him come out of the basket It was clear he wasn't comfortable. Um, but I, I think overall they're better. They added a lot of talent, and he, he is. You know, Schroeder and Harrell are significantly better than the players that they're replacing. And ultimately, I think in this league, when you add talent and you have a good framework around it, and between LeBron, AD, and that coaching staff, they do. I think when you add more talent, you ultimately end up better, and that's what the Lakers did.
0: And and Alex, I'm curious of your thoughts. Of course, we primarily cover the Clippers here, but on the question of the Lakers and what you saw from them last night and what you think of them going forward, um, do you see them being a better team? And kind of the same question. uh, Do you think the additions of Schroeder and Harrell make them better than losing
3: Rondo in, in the
0: sporting cast.
3: Well I can't, I think that uh shooter is kinda like a a hybrid of both of those guys. You know what I mean? His 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 athleticism, his his tenacity as far as offense. Um he does a great job, you know, facilitating and uh, he's just gonna get better playing with LeBron. I think everybody does get better playing with LeBron because he's an unselfish um all star. And um the fact that I feel that you know LeBron's on his his way as far as not being so dominant trying to win MVP or anything like that. He has a team that's going to get him to the playoffs and that's all he needs from that standpoint, you know? So I think they're going to be a great team. Um, they got an all-star big as well that's been in the finals, has won a championship. So they, they know how to get the, get things done at a high level, you know? So I think the only thing that they're they're faced with is, you know, themselves individually. but collectively I don't think it's going to be any problem for them to jail anytime soon for sure yeah I think it'll be interesting oh
0: sorry guys I I think it'll be interesting that just like you said the the trade-off of offense and defense for two really dynamic offensive players and Schroeder and Harrell and Schroeder can still be a good defender as we've seen as well Harrell a little bit on and off you know he'll block shots he'll give up offensive rebounds and dunks and some of the team defense aspect but that's kind of the trade-off you're making uh, with that Lakers team to, like we said, in a season where LeBron and AD maybe rest a little more to have some guys who can really carry the offense when when they're out of the game.
1: Yeah, I just think it's extremely important for this season. I, I, I actually think there's a lot about what the Lakers did this offseason that was very specific to the context of this coming year. Like if this had been a normal year where things wrap up in June and you've got the typical, what is it, like four months off, I don't know if the Lakers would have made the exact same moves. Like, I, I, I've heard people talk about, you know, there's something Brian I know had, had mentioned a lot, the idea of, you know, whether you run it back or not and the pros and cons of it. I don't think this was an option for the Lakers running it back because I think that the team they had was too old to run back in this particular year. I don't think you could do it. You know, in, in
2: any other year, I don't know. But this particular year, I just don't think it was possible. Yeah, and I also think too. You know, guys, to just kind of follow up what Andy's saying, like it's because they, the Lakers had real weaknesses last year, and you know every team does. It's not like I'm I'm saying they got lucky or anything, but you know the outside shooting was a problem during the season. The wing defense was periodically problematic. They they had places where you could attack. Them. The inability to really create offense consistently in any moment, LeBron wasn't on the floor. These were all problems. They did not come to. To haunt them at all in the bubble, like, you know, Marquise Morris suddenly started hitting threes all over the place, and you know the you know Rajon Rondo's playoff thing last year, you know, playoff Rondo was a real deal. But just because those things didn't happen last year doesn't mean that they wouldn't happen this year. And I think what the Lakers did was realize that. Well, it's like you know, okay, yeah, you know, we, our weaknesses are still our weaknesses, and we still need to fix them, even if last year we won a title with what we had. And I, I have a, a lot of respect for that kind of thinking where you don't do the easy thing, which would be to run it back as close as you can because nobody would fault them for it and instead made some bold moves that look, if if they if they can't play defense this year because Gasol and Harrell um, just can't replicate what Dwight did and they can't fix it or whatever it might be, they're going to take some criticism for it. But they they did what I thought was the smart thing, but also the thing that uh, was, was riskier in that regard.
0: And I think the thing they have in their back pocket is at least come playoff time, I'm sure we won't see it a lot in the regular season, but uh, Anthony Davis playing at the five, which that we saw a lot in the playoffs as well, where, you know, when it comes crunch time in these playoff matchups, when they really need to protect the rim, they can likely pull out that card and, and use that instead of, you know, having to worry about potential defensive mm-hmm. lapses from from Harrell and Gasol. So they have kind of that versatility that should be able to make them again, you know, a huge threat, threat and potential favorite again this season.
1: Yeah, it also depends, too, on the matchup. I mean, the way the Clippers played last night, that's a tough matchup for Marc Gasol. If if they're going up against Denver in a series, Mark Gasol becomes extremely valuable against Jokic. So it, it really depends a lot on who they're playing. And, you know, they, you're not going to be going small nearly as much. So, you know, it's, it's contextual.
2: Would you guys say, too, and just to throw a question back, like that's yeah. the model the Clippers were looking for last year where you have – you know a red hot Paul George and Kawhi didn't shoot the ball well last night. I think it was ten to twenty six, um, but like that's that's the model. Like in the same way that the Lakers don't have like nobody's got two people that can guard both AD and LeBron at the same time. No team has really has two wings who are capable of guarding, you know, Kawhi and Paul George when both of them are playing well. That's yeah. that's kind of the blueprint, right?
0: Yeah, I think so, and yeah. I think that's partly the reason or one of the reasons why people were. We're so disappointed last year where, of course, Game 7, of course, they both didn't play well against Denver. But, you know, Paul George taking that criticism, and a lot of it rightfully so because he didn't come through like the player that everyone knows he's capable of. And we saw last night what he can do. So when those two are on, it makes them very, very good. And I think, you know, the new wrinkle they have this year, they're kind of of in contrast to what we were just talking about with the Lakers where maybe talent-wise you could argue the Clippers took – a step down or stayed in the same spot but i think fit wise this is a better roster in terms of fit with like you said Sergi Ibaka, a big that can stretch the floor um nicholas batum he only made one shot but he had six rebounds and six assists as another ball handler and we know he'll be coming off the bench when marcus morris comes back so you know losing harrell and Jamichael green is big but i think the moves they made helped fit the roster better around those two guys in Kawhi leonard and paul george and should theoretically Make them a little bit stronger as a team overall and and we'll see how Lu implements that but i liked what i saw you know they shot 43 point attempts which was they did about half the time last year and they were very effective when they shot more three-pointers so i think that was a point of emphasis and i think clipper fans were also happy that evita zubats who i know you guys know well got extended run which was a big issue with with doc rivers last year and of course harold was on the team and took a lot of those minutes but Zubats played, I think, his longest stretch of consecutive minutes in his career last night, from middle of the third to near the end of the fourth quarter, and Clipper fans have been waiting to see that for a while. So I think all of those things combined are potential pos- positives for them moving forward.
1: He's all grown up, Zoo. He's all grown up this season. <laughs> he's he's all grown good. He's, he's legit good.
2: good, and like how much he gets used this year, and how much they can keep him on the floor, seems to me to be like a like one of these big kind of burning. Questions with with where the Clippers can go and what their potential upside is.
0: Yeah, he had yeah. you know he didn't start of course last night. They've been going with Ibaka, or they're going to go with Ibaka as the starter seemingly for the foreseeable future. But he played six more minutes than Ibaka. Twenty seven minutes was a plus seventeen in his time on the floor. So I think, like you said, he's not the flashy, flashiest of players, but he's always very effective. And like you said, if he can stay on the floor and out of foul trouble, that's a, a big force for them, especially now that he'll kind of be in a lot of those roles that we saw Harold in last year with him and Lou Williams kind of working in tandem in the second unit.
3: Zubox was definitely a a great aspect as far as in the bubble, and he shined very well, man. Um, He had some great minutes, and he used them wisely and uh, played to his um, expectation and his ability. Uh, I love Zubox because he doesn't make make too many mistakes. You know, when he's on the court, you know what you're going to get out of him. And um, it just shows from that standpoint. And the teams can rely on it for sure.
0: I mean, I'm curious for you guys. I know I just mentioned a little bit, but uh, the Clippers, of course, made the moves, losing Harrell and Green, getting Ibaka and, and Nick Batum into the lineup. Um, do you think that they got better? Kind of the same question about the Lakers, but or are they the same? Are they worse? What, what are your expectations for them this season? Uh, you know, first game out the window or not, uh, just what you see for them going forward.
1: Better on the season or better against the Lakers specifically?
0: I mean, we'll start we'll go with both. We'll start on the 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 answers
1: to those
2: things are kind of the same, like in terms
1: of where the season goes. I mean, that's who's standing in
0: front of them no matter what. So I guess they go hand in hand.
1: I guess in the grand scheme of things, it is the same question. I I think they got I think to some degree, how much better the Clippers are this season depends on how much better they want to be. And you know, their willingness to put all the tensions that were a problem for them last year to the side and reach that, that common goal, because I think what got in their way more than anything else for them was themselves. And if that's not the case this year, I I firmly believe they're going to be a really good team. They've got a lot of talent and specifically, you know, they're built to make life difficult for LeBron. Like they, they've got a lot of different wings and options that you can throw at LeBron to try to make life harder. Whether you're talking about Kawhi, Paul George, now Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, when he's healthy, even a guy like Patrick Beverly can be pesky. Serge Ibaka someone you can put on him. And, you know, you're obviously not going to shut down LeBron because that just doesn't really happen. But you can make life as hard as reasonably possible. And last season, if you look at LeBron's splits over four games, he averaged 21.3 points, which was very low by his standards and about as low as it went for teams that he played more than three times. 36.7 36.7 from the field, 23.3 from behind the arc, eight and a half assists per game, which is on the lower end for him. Did a good job protecting the ball. But I think it bears out the idea that, that the Clippers were very much designed with the idea of just making LeBron work. And if you make LeBron work or you actually disrupt him, you disrupt the Lakers because even with the offensive auditions that we uh, auditions that we talked about earlier with uh, with Trez and Dennis Schroeder, everything still is built around LeBron operating it. So in, in that, and we saw it last night, you know, LeBron what did not take the game over. He, he really didn't put his stamp on things. It's one game and there's a lot of parameters. So I wouldn't read into that singularly, but it does match the trend of what we saw last season over four games against the Clippers. So I don't think that makes them better than the Lakers. But I do think it makes them pretty well equipped to try to battle them in a series.
2: Yeah, and i I think I think that Ibaka is a more Ibaka is easier to use than than Harold. Is he better? Is no? I don't know if he's better at everything. And you know, Alex, I think would have um, you know deeper insight into that kind of thing. Certainly, I think than I would. But I think he's easier, and, and that makes Tyloo's job easier. Um, Kennard didn't do a whole lot last night, but I, I think he's a good player, um, and ultimately will be a pretty useful one for the Clippers this year, probably a little more useful than Shamit. And, you know, I just, I, 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 I didn't love, like, you know, Georgia's answer to, you know, the, the in the incredibly awkward TNT post-game interview um, about special treatment, even though I think the idea that he and, and uh, Kawhi wouldn't get that is kind of asinine. Every team treats their stars differently than, than you know, the 14th guy on the bench. And I do sort of wonder if it still matters that both of their uh, franchise guys aren't particularly good at leading the the media stuff and being out front, all that sort of front facing stuff that that can that can build up and become problematic over the course of a season. Kawhi's not great at it. George isn't great at it, and so it does make you wonder, like, who is going to be the person? You know, Andy pointed this out last night. We were talking about this on our uh, on our our podcast. Um, Ibaka is pretty good, so guys like that around Tyloo is good, and so they have to answer some of those cultural questions. But last year's humiliation has got to be, you know, first and foremost in their minds. I think that that allows them to put a lot behind them, and from a schematic standpoint, it seems like the big change they made, which is adding Ibaka, works better for them, and that makes them better.
0: Yeah, and I think I think Paul George's answer, like you said. Uh, one thing that I found interesting in there was he did say we don't have that issue on this year's team, which I think is a veiled shot or not, maybe not veiled at at I mean, Montero, who I think was probably part of our say, content.
1: He so. might have actually just answered the question by saying Trez can go bleep himself. <laughs> I mean, like in all honesty, it, it felt like that really was his answer. Yeah, and if nothing else that would have been a smoother answer than the one he gave us. but like alex as the one person who's actually played you know in the nba and been a part of this type of locker room like how much does how much does that special treatment that stars get actually matter is it is it dependent on who the star is and what else they do
3: oh for sure it's a, it's a high it's a high 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 voltage of star power goes down to you know the the starting five the pros you know it's a it's a player's game from that standpoint you know so um they have the they have the, the voice of every single body that uh that comes across them the gm listens to things for instance for like um james harden you know what i mean what he's doing right now you know to go off topic of, of everything but he's <laughs> he's controlling every single aspect of the houston rockets you know so they they are really um, big on on star power as far as the players wise.
0: I mean, yeah, we don't know how well that one will work out. We know the the Rockets are kind of uh, in tatters over there. Uh, obviously, they might only have seven or eight players available due to the first kind of significant coronavirus at least scare within the leagues. So that's that's kind of the I guess the underlying underlying subtext of this season. Of course, is a different season, no fans dealing with the coronavirus and travel for the teams. Uh, That'll be a really interesting thing to see. And from multiple aspects, one of them that I wanted to ask you guys about was the no fans, of course, now in big arenas rather than in the bubble and the, the smaller setup they had there at Disney. How much do you think that plays a factor? And I guess time will tell, but do any teams gain an advantage from that? Do any teams handle it worse or miss their home crowd the most? What do you see from battling you know, COVID and, and dealing with this season with no fans.
2: I I think, you know, that. teams like the Clippers, I think, get a lot. I mean, Clippers fans, it's a loud building, you know, against any team that isn't the Lakers, where Lakers fans suck up, you know, half the seats. You know, that's a loud building, and it's it's a good – I mean, I th- most teams benefit from having their home fans. I think the less experience you have, the more it matters. You know, a team like Denver – would benefit from playing home games in the playoffs on their home floor. Granted, they might also suffer um, for playing in front of another team's fans. So, I, I you know, the Lakers, it doesn't matter. Um, clearly, I think they showed that. More veteran teams like the Clippers probably doesn't matter. I think it helps them. It's nice to have a good home crowd. But, you know, Milwaukee probably benefits. Um, you know, just, it, it matters a little bit more, I think, to be able to lean on your home crowd, particularly if you have home court advantage for a game seven or something like that. Port teams, like you know, where the atmosphere can really make a big difference and your team, whether it's the stars or the supporting cast, um, isn't maybe as seasoned or as experienced in playing in a, in a hostile building um, in, in such a pressure-packed way. Um, but you know, Denver, Utah teams like that will get the advantage at least of being in their building with the you know the altitude, and stuff like that will help yeah. them. It's a kind of a compressed s- schedule that will help them a little bit. um i don't I don't think ultimately it'll make that big a difference, to be honest. I, you know it's funny. I agree with Brian that in the grand scheme of things, it, it won't make a
1: difference like in terms of wins and losses, I, I think over the course of seventy two games. But LeBron, who has been there, done that as any player in the league, if not more, he's talked a lot about how much he misses the fans and and what the fans bring to him and how much he doesn't enjoy playing without them. So I don't think it's holding him back at all. I mean, the Lakers, by definition, showed they can win a championship without their fans there. But
2: it, it is something that they notice. And, and the games. Oh I yeah, think- I don't mean to say it, it oh, doesn't yeah. matter at all, but I just don't think it affects their performance. Right. They'd oh. all prefer to play in front of fans. It's weird not to.
1: Right. I, I think it's something that they they tangibly they tangibly notice, and it's something they don't get to feed off. It all gets equalized by the fact that, you know, other than I think it's seven buildings this year, they're they're all going to be in the same boat. And even though those arenas are going to be, you know, at nowhere close to capacity. And you know, with a crowd the crowd at that size, I, I don't even know if the fans play a factor. I think in some ways it's going to feel more awkward and weird than like like, like you've got this uh, crowd of people cheering you on. But it, it is interesting, though, just like how much LeBron specifically has been saying, I really want these fans back. Like I, I really don't enjoy, you know, and I don't blame him. Like if he's really used to putting on a show. And I think LeBron really relishes – uh that showmanship element and I think he considers it like a responsibility like this is what you're supposed to be doing as an NBA superstar Kobe was a lot like that you know that was something Kobe saw as a real responsibility that he carried
0: as as a face of the league and I think that's something that I mean obviously is going to be missed for the fan perspective of those crowds and, and seeing those moments whether it's in a home or road arena from like you said LeBron if he's silencing a crowd or pumping one up and you know the same for for any player in the league who's a big time player but um, yeah you, you touched on the 17th as well that will have some fans uh, what are your thoughts on that I don't get too far down that rabbit hole but um, seems like an, an odd decision from the NBA for who's been so safe and health conscious to even allow any fans in at this point when the virus is kind of at its worst and you know I, I can almost certainly say it's not not worth risking your life to see a Cavs game at home right now so that's one. That's one of the seven cities out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on just what, that decision from the NBA?
1: I mean, I thought John Hollinger at the Athletics summed it up really well when he retweeted. Um, I don't remember who put out the the news about seven arenas allowing it, and he said it feels like about seven too many. Um, yeah. That that's basically how I feel. It just we've gone this far and this year it's not in the bubble and you know the NBA can really pat themselves on the back rightly for the way the bubble uh was executed that it was phenomenal I wouldn't do anything that unnecessarily makes it already harder than it's going to be I get the economics but at the same time like in the grand scheme of things those ticket sales from seven buildings I don't think is worth the potential disruption
2: or the optics of it but Clearly, nobody asked my vote. Well, yeah, and I, I think it's, it's it's really it's a question of these individual markets more than it's like you know the the NBA needs the revenue. It's really these individual markets that are trying to to claw back whatever they can. And I I agree. I I don't know. I don't know how much money do you make from three thousand fans being in in you know in there or five thousand or whatever it might be. I don't know. And I I don't I don't claim to truly understand the the you know epidemiology of it either um i agree with you i'm not going jesse um <laughs> like certainly not to go to a Cavs game um like what's but, the baseline yeah. like in terms I, I, of you know, in
3: terms
1: of teams that you're willing to take a risk like like how good do you have well, you got at least you have to, to
2: have to at least be able to what is the, it, what you, is you have to at least be able to make the, the play in here. The
0: i mean I, I know, yeah I, I would go as far as it has to be one of the top five teams in the league, at least if you're, if you're going right. to take that risk, you got to have LeBron on the floor, or Kawhi or Lillard or, you know, one of the top players in the league to really get you to, to get out there and put yourself at risk.
2: Yeah. And Alex, I mean, the uh, Alex is, you know, was making the point too. It's like, it's, it's season ticket holders and you're trying to pay off those, those people. Uh, but I would say you have to, to answer Andy's, I, I'd say you have to at least be able to make the play in games. Yes. Like if you can't be in the top 10. I'm not showing up during the epidemic. Uh, to your games. So that's, that's my baseline.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, just like we saw, certain teams didn't make the bubble. Only maybe you have to have a certain record to have fans in the building. Maybe that's the next step. That,
1: that's actually a great idea. Like they'll open it up for fans, but you have to wait at least a month so, so teams can determine themselves worthy of having fans there. Like if the Cavs are as bad as everybody suspects they'll be, it doesn't matter what they're willing to do. You have not earned the right to put fans in the building and therefore make it exponentially less safe. Like you, you got to earn
0: that right. I think, hey, we just figured <laughs> it out right here. That's four guys. That's
2: you can, you can that, add, you can add 100 fans for every win.
0: There you go. That's, we'll, we'll send it, send the league office a letter. Um, let's swing back around to, uh, to the Clippers and Lakers in particular. Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit on, on your podcast, the land of Lakers podcast, which you guys of course can find here on the believe podcast network. Um, what biggest strengths i know we talked about what the clippers biggest strengths were versus the lakers we'll go vice versa for you guys since you obviously cover the lakers what are the lakers biggest strengths against the clippers and what maybe their biggest weaknesses
1: um well i, I already mentioned uh, what i think is the biggest strength of the clippers just their their ability to throw different looks at lebron uh the, the biggest advantage the lakers have is just i don't think the clippers like a lot of teams around the league have a lot of answers for ad I mean, Ibaka being there will help, um, and you know you can put Marcus Morris there at times, and you know Kawhi is a weapon in your bag. But how much do you want to be deploying that, particularly when you have to account for LeBron as well? You know, when AD has it going, there's no real answer for him anyway. But the Clippers, you know, they're they're going to have some issues with them. Like he's going to cause them some problems, and when when AD is really going, the Lakers become a damn hard team to stop.
2: True. Yeah, I, it's 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 hard for me to kind of look at the 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 individual. So much has changed a little bit, you know, in terms of of you know important spots. You know, the Lakers are different up the middle than they were last year, uh, but you know from the center through the point guard, and uh, you know the 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 change from. Uh Harrell to Ibaka, you know, needs to marinate a little bit, I think, too, before you can really get a feel for what that looks like. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think the biggest thing that the Lakers have over the Clippers is the same thing they have over everyone, which is they have two of the three or four, at worst, best players in the game. And this is where I think George playing like he did in the opener makes such a big difference because... If he's that guy, you know, the guy with Oklahoma City who was an MVP candidate for, you know, two and a half months of the season or whatever it was, that changes the dynamic for the Clippers because they go from having, you know, Kawhi, who I think is still at you know in that ultra elite level of players, and a guy who's, you know, top 10, you know, top 15, top 8, like however you want to define it, but in that next tier down, to somebody who is truly a special two-way player. Um, which is what George is when he's completely healthy and I, I, you know and, and playing at his at his best. I mean, obviously, he's got to show it in the playoffs, which is instantly what was all over Twitter last night. Um, but it's still you know it, it still changes the dynamic of the Clippers, and so you know I think the Lakers have the ability to make uh, the Clippers' lack of of sort of really quality point guard play an issue. Um, I like Pat Beverly, but he's limited. I think in certain things. Uh, and in certain ways, and you know, behind him, there's not a whole lot. So I think the I think the Lakers are well equipped to, to to do that. Um, but ultimately, that that talent disparity at the very very top is what separates the Lakers from everyone, including I think the Clippers.
0: Hey, Alex, what what are your thoughts? Obviously, um, not like Brian my- just mentioned, when when Paul George plays like he's capable of to that super yeah. duper star level. Um, that th- that evens it out a little bit at the top too, but uh, overall, what do you see as far as weaknesses and strengths for for the matchup with the Clippers and, and the I'll, Lakers?
3: I'll keep it simple as possible. Um, the Lakers' biggest strength is is that they've been there. You know what I mean? They they've seen the other side of the rainbow. They they tasted the water. They can sleep easy. <laughs> you know, and they have LeBron James. You know what I mean? They don't have to. Nobody collectively has to worry about nothing that the media says because it's all on lebron james you know so for that being said they can actually do their job comfortable not worrying about the media they have ad right there you know what i mean that's it's a it's a it's a dream team to be on from that standpoint and i think the the biggest strengths that you know the clippers would have is that they've never been there you know so they just still trying to figure out who's going to take advantage of the opportunity and um they they they're thirsty and hungry as hell, you know what I mean? So to be in that 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 sacrifice of trying to figure out we're gonna do any and everything to get over this hump, that's a scary team to be, you know what I mean to to go up against because they're they're right there. They're gonna do any and everything to get over this hump this year for sure. yeah, if
1: that's the case, man, they're gonna be they're going to be really, really good. I mean they I think Alex yeah. is absolutely correct that like how much of this, how much the Clippers succeed is, in a lot of ways, just how much do they want to succeed? Because they're absolutely built to do it.
2: Well, I, but also too, like, how can they change? I think the want is there. It's, but how do you channel it? Because that's part of what know, I'm talking. Talk about. Pressure. Okay, well, I, I, maybe I misunderstood. But like the the pressure on the Clippers this year. I mean, the Lakers are overwhelming favorites. You know, betting favorites, media favorites, whatever to win in a, to win a title this year. They are expected to go and win a title but that th- even with that the pressure on the clippers this year is massive i realize that that george just signed the extension but in some ways george signing the extension and then Kawhi leaving is like worse than both of them going um you know because you know depend- depending on what you think of an aging paul george and, and how how they can fill in around him like that could be even more problematic so like they have to be successful in a way that keeps Kawhi around, keeps, you know, the the belief in what they're trying to do at a very high level. Um, and I, I just think the pressure on them is enormous. So if they can channel that in a positive direction, like the way Alex is talking, then they become, you know, that much better. If they can't, it, it becomes a bigger problem. So I I want it to work because I've been promised a Lakers Clippers Western Conference finals for like a decade now. <laughs> and I want to see it. Gosh darn it! And like yeah. we were robbed, and, and I, you know maybe even by the time it happens, we might even be allowed in the building. I'm not sure. Uh, like it actually could be a <laughs> legitimate hallway series. And they're going to so hold where it. We're we all in it.
0: Yeah, no. I think we just have to have both of these teams. Obviously, the Clippers have much worse history with it, but both these teams avoid any three-one leads because in 2006, the Lakers were up three-one on the Suns and then lost that, which would have been a hallway series the next round. And then of course this past year, the Clippers blew their three-one lead and in epic fashion. So I think that avoiding those three, one leads and just maybe closing out series a little quicker would be nice for the Clippers in particular, but for both these teams.
1: Alex, how much do you think it matters having Ty Lu in there just beyond whatever schematics, just a different voice when you take into account everything that happened with the team last year?
3: Yeah, for sure. I think Tyrone, Tyrone Lewis, he's a player, you know, from the, from the standpoint and uh, they can relate to him. You know, the advantage that he has is that um, he's coached LeBron James. He knows his, his weaknesses and stuff like that. So they're going to use the best way they can to his advantage. Um, but Tyrone Lue definitely has a voice. And he has a way of, like, getting around and talking to these guys where they can actually feel, you know, they're not being threatening and they're not, like, you know, trying to be dominant in and, and that standpoint. So I think they relate to him very well. I think having a voice like him as well as Chauncey Billups, you know, um, is huge. You know, these guys still have a great credibility in the league and it's, it's well respected, you know, by players and peers, you know, on and off the court. So those two guys are going to be really having their hands full of making sure this team jails very well.
0: And I think it's it'll be important um, for the coaching aspect of things. And, of course, it's always on the players. They're the ones out there. They have to perform. But I think like we talked about on, on your guys show, there are definitely things rotation wise schematically that the Clippers could have done better or adjusted to better in that Denver series that could have had them close out any one of those three games where they had double digit leads at the end. So I think schematically, like I touched on earlier, moving the ball more, shooting more three pointers, having, you know, Zubots play more minutes, whatever it may be, I think Ty Lue. You know, has seen obviously he was there on the bench last year, so he has that firsthand experience and his obviously his own bag of tricks and X's and O's that I think should help this team. I you know I think it was time for a change, and as much as love Doc Rivers and he's a great coach, uh, you know, 2015 and last year, two of the worst playoff losses in not only Clippers history but in NBA history. Those are both inexcusable losses, and and like you said, he was brought in to take them to another level after Vinny Del Negro and never got past the the same spot. So I think and it,
1: it, it's interesting too, because doc in Philadelphia in a lot of ways is being brought in to be a different voice than Brett Brown. Yeah. Who had, it had wondered if, <laughs> you know, that had run its course too. And I mean that you hear, you hear players talk about that all the time that just, or I think it was Pat Riley who put like a timeline on how long you can have a voice there before it's just time to change it. You know, I mean, Greg Popovich is rare. And there and there's a reason that he's rare.
0: And and that may because very work very may well work for Doc in, in Philadelphia too, because mm-hmm. he said he's still a good coach. And you know, just the changing in voice and setting is probably good for him as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. So before we before we let you guys go, we know that we have the Christmas Day slate, the Lakers take on the Mavericks, the Clippers have the rematch with the Nuggets. Uh we know that we always like to maybe put too much stock and overreact into the early season, but uh, how do you see the Lakers approaching not only that Christmas day game, but just their early portion of the schedule and working their way uh, into the early part of the season going forward.
2: It's funny. This this is something else we talked about um, on our, our podcast for, for today. Andy and I, it's, I think they're going to they're going to you know LeBron turn an ankle in the opener so I think they're going to be very careful with that LeBron said after that he thinks he'll be okay and drink some wine and you know rub some cabernet on it and he'll be all right and and you know he gets the you know the whole Christmas day thing if he can play he's going to play but then you know they have back to backs against Minnesota and Portland there's a in my mind a 0% chance that both of the stars play in both of those games um, I, I just I think they're what you'll see after Christmas is the Lakers really starting to lean into this um, preservation plan that they have and making sure that guys don't get hurt and don't get dinged up and that they see the long view here. Uh, on the Christmas game itself, it just like it becomes a, a question of what do you do with Luca. I mean, I'm disappointed that Porzingis can't play in this game because it it takes Dallas from being a really really exciting team to a team with a lot of good supporting players and Luka Doncic. Um but it's it, Dallas gave the Lakers a ton of trouble last year. Um and I would expect that to be a very competitive game. I'm I'm wondering, you know, what they'll do with the rotation. Will we see maybe a little more THT? What does Gasol if he stays out of foul trouble play like 12 minutes? Like Dallas doesn't, you know, feature um, you know, a, you know, big center like that. So I wonder you know, how much more insight will start to get into the way the pieces fit together? Um, but I'm I'm actually a little more interested, like you say, Jesse, in sort of the that first couple of weeks, what happens after Christmas and the spotlights go off just a little bit. You have the opener, you have Christmas, super high profile games. You know, Sunday against Minnesota, less so. So what do they do with that one? Okay. I can't lie. I mean, I'm I'm very interested in everything Brian talked about with the Lakers, but
1: I may I think I'm actually more intrigued by Clippers Denver than I am these next few games for the Lakers. Like oh, as that, a game that, for sure. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely that's, that's interesting. Idea. Like that is really interesting, and I I gained not that I you know disrespected them before, but I really gained a lot of respect for Denver over the course of, of that bubble. Like, I mean, they, they really, I think, just they played their guts out and they brought everything they possibly had as a collective to the absolute surface and maximized the most. Like that interview Jamal Murray um, did after one of those wins, uh, you know, where he talked about the shoes that he was wearing in honor of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and just what that moment meant to him and, you know, just what that moment meant in the moment we were experiencing literally worldwide, like though those are exceptionally memorable. A- and that team I think is really good at just getting the most out of themselves. They're gonna have Will Barton back this year, who became easy to forget wasn't even a part of things. You know, if if Michael Porter Jr. is even just competent defensively or just n- not somebody that you have to worry about covering as much that team's going to be really, really dangerous this year, especially now that they, they, you know, they've seen themselves accomplish a lot. And, and, and there's a lot of confidence that comes from that.
0: And, and that Denver ceiling is high, as you said. If, if yeah. Paul Murray is that player that he was in the bubble, that's another superstar with Jokic. And you know they did lose Jeremy Grant, but they got Jermichael Green. You mentioned Porter and Barton. Uh, there's a Green's potential a good, to grow.
1: Jermichael Green's a good pickup for Denver.
0: He's a, yeah, he, he, that, that would hurt for the Clippers for sure. Uh, yeah. he was a tough, he's a tough player and really underrated, great shooter well, and rebounder. Because
1: I didn't I didn't like a lot of people didn't think Montrez Harrell was even a possibility for the Lakers. Jamichael Green was somebody that I was hoping the, the Lakers
0: would take a look at. Yeah, he's a – as I said, he'll he'll be missed for for the Clippers for a lot of reasons, but he's uh he's a very nice pickup for Denver and he'll do a great job there. So for a lot of reasons, as he said, that game is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to look forward to it all. Uh, Andy kamenensky and Brian kamenensky they host the Land of Lakers podcast here in the believe Podcast Network. Uh, they do an amazing job covering the Lakers and, and the NBA as a whole. So, uh, really an honor to have you guys on, and, and really fun to talk about uh, some basketball. And we'll obviously look forward to hopefully a, you know a safe and exciting season.
1: Yeah, appreciate you guys having us on, man. Thank you.
0: Thanks a lot. Sure, appreciate you guys joining. So that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Believe in Clippers podcast. Huge thanks again to our guests, the Kamenensky brothers, Andy and Brian. You can hear them, of course, right here on the Believe Podcast Network on the Land of Lakers podcast. They do an amazing job, and they're, of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, they've been on ESPN Radio. They've been all over the place. They're great guys, and we really appreciate them coming on the show here today. So, of course, the the Clippers get their victory on opening night. We'll see if they can carry forward that momentum. It was a 116-109 win over the Lakers. You know, obviously, anytime you get a win over the Lakers, it's nice. But uh, as we saw last year, it doesn't mean everything. So good start to the season. We'll see if they can carry it forward. They play the Nuggets on Christmas, another one circled on the calendar with meaning behind it. So we'll see if Marcus Morris is back for that one and just how the Clippers continue to progress. But so far, so good. So Clippers 1-0, and we'll continue rocking along here. A big thanks again. For the Kamenetsky Brothers, my co-host Alex Acker, and for you tuning in at home, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, or find us wherever you find your podcasts. With all that said, that is going to do it for this week's episode. We'll talk to you again next week. You're in the Believe in Clippers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network, and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Clips.